The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. All right, good morning. Welcome again, Doug, again, uh, pastor here at Parkview. Great privilege to um, share the Bible with you this morning. This summer, we've been doing a series called New Testament, you know, portraits of faith, people from the New Testament, different characters. Today, we don't even need know the person's name. Uh, we just know her as a woman at the well or a Samaritan woman. That's all we know about her. Um, but what's amazing about her is that she is part of probably one of the longest recorded conversations that Jesus had with somebody on the planet, particularly somebody that didn't know who Jesus is. So it's a fascinating conversation. If you have a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 4. That's where we'll be. Or if you want to use your phone app, you can go there. Um, The verses will also be up on the screen. I'm going to share a story that happened to me this week that has some similarities to what happened to this woman too. So one of my daughters has been pushing me as a dad to let her fly to Baltimore on her own and work all summer at a farm that my extended family has right outside of Baltimore. So they grow corn, cantaloupe, Uh, watermelon tomatoes and the city of Baltimore has kind of grown around this farm so they have a store right on the property and so whenever we as a family go visit uh, that part of my family you don't sit down and talk you work with them like that's how you get caught up and it's actually a lot of fun they when my kids go they get to just jump right in and pick the crops and sell them in the store and run the cash register and so my daughter's been pushing me since she was 13 like I know I can do that all summer let me go out there so finally we broke down and said okay you'll go for a week this summer and you can fly on your own. So my only, one of my caveats was, I'm going to fly you from Chicago. I don't want you flipping airports anywhere. So I want to see you go, and I want the family to receive you on the other end. So she did amazingly well. She flew out, great, worked hard, got up at 5.30, picked corn, sold it, worked till 7, just loved it, okay? So last Wednesday, she flew back to Chicago. And so I, was, I drove over to get her and parked in short-term parking there in O'Hare Airport and got the ticket. And I remember seeing in the airport that you can pay your ticket as you're leaving the airport and kind of speed it up. So I took the ticket with me, went on in. So picked her up at baggage claim, came back in, loaded up the car, reached in my pocket. I didn't have the ticket. And I forgot to run it through the kiosk. So I didn't have a ticket. I say, Bethany, I lost the ticket. I, I heard it for a little bit like that. I got myself here. I checked in my bag yesterday. <laughs> I got my seat assignment. You said I couldn't do the trip, and now you can't even. You had one thing to do, and you couldn't do it. You know, So it's like, yeah, you got me there. So, And I wasn't sure, like, can I even get out of this? Can we even get out of this parking lot without a ticket? I'm going, oh, no. And so, But right then, one of those white pickups, you know, with the yellow lights on top, like a airport security or whatever guy was driving by, and so I flagged him down because I was just going to ask. I was playing the dumb Iowan in O'Hare Airport. Like, what do you do here? You know, and so he was an elderly African-American man, and his race will be significant in a little bit. And I, I just said, man, here's the story. Like, I lost the ticket and all that. He goes, man, that's going to cost you $50. You're going to have to pay $50 to get out. I was like, oh, no. He said, you better backtrack. You better go find that ticket and all that. And I was like, but I've, I've got my daughter's itinerary. I drove from Iowa. Like, she just got here a half hour ago. I haven't been here long. Nope, they're going to still want $50 from you. It's like, oh, man, okay, Bethany, let's go, let's go backtrack. And, and then he says, no, wait a minute. You stay here. Just wait a minute. So he drives away, and he comes back a couple minutes later, and he's got a ticket for me. Like, I don't know if he went and he punched it, you know, and got it out. But he's, like, looking around. He's going, don't, I, I could get fired for this, but... But here, there's no way you should have to pay $50 for just losing a ticket. I was just blown away. And I, I said, that's incredibly kind of you to do this for us. He said, well, don't tell anybody. I could get fired for this. And he goes, I'm just going to ask you to do one thing for me. I said, yeah, what is it? He said, I just want you to say a prayer for me. 
And so I, I said to him, uh, well, I'm a pastor, and there aren't many places in my life where I say that and I get the same response that I got. But from this man, I got big eyes, and he, you know, he's just like, you're a pastor? And it's like, yeah, and how can I pray for you? And this, is, this broke me up. He just said, I married an amazing woman, and she's been a great woman to me for many years, and I've been a bad man. Would you pray for my marriage? Oh, my goodness. So we just, we just prayed, and we're both bawling, and he goes, no, I got to get out of here. I don't want to get fired. You know, so he just <laughs> strove away. And so I go, see, Bethany, that's why I lost the ticket, right? God, I, God had a plan for that. I knew it all along, right? So, but wow, just in a random meeting like that. But I'm, I'm so put yourself, I mean, I'm just me. You guys know it's just me. Like I didn't have to get that fired up about meeting me. But this woman was just kind of going through her day. And without realizing it, she stumbled into a conversation with the son of God. And her life was completely flipped. And so we're just going to read the whole story. It's, it's a little long. Just read along with me quietly. We're going to do the responsive reading thing here. But just catch, catch the power of this story, okay? So John chapter 4, verse 4. So Jesus had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, and so did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband which you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I am, or I who speak to you, am he. Let's pray. Jesus, would you take those words, would you take that amazing conversation that you had with this woman over 2,000 years ago 
And would you bring it to life in each of our hearts this morning? Would you teach us what you want us to know about you and about ourselves? And I'm going to give you a chance now just to ask Jesus, ask him that privately and personally. Ask Jesus to teach you something this morning. And if you could pray for me, would you pray that I deliver God's message clearly, boldly, and accurately? God, I'm excited for this time. Thanks for speaking to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so there's many things we could talk about in that amazing conversation that Jesus had, but I want us to pick three things. In fact, um, there's, a, there's kind of a pattern or a cycle that this woman goes through where she was seeking Jesus, where she met Jesus, and where she shared Jesus. And in fact, I think if you were to ask God, God, give me a big picture of what you would want to be true in my life. I think God would say those same three, three things. I would love for you to seek Jesus. I would love for you to meet Jesus. I would love for you to share Jesus. So let's look at how uh, that played out in this woman's life. First of all, I'm saying that she was seeking Jesus, even though at this time she didn't know who Jesus was. You know, when she was going out to get water at the well that day, she had no idea about Jesus. She kind of had an idea about a Messiah coming, but no idea who Jesus was. But we can tell she was seeking Jesus because she was thirsty. There were things in her life that were clearly missing that only Jesus could provide. There's a few details about this woman's life we saw. First, she's drawing water at noon in the middle of the day. That was totally unconventional. Usually, it was incredibly hot in this region, and so you would not do hard work in the middle of the day. You would go get water early in the morning when it's cool or in the evening. And actually, gathering water was a social event. You would go with your friends and your family, and it would be a time to catch up on how everybody's doing and the local gossip and all that. So it's incredibly odd to go in the middle of the day, and it was incredibly odd to go by yourself. So we're, we're learning some things about this woman. And then when Jesus has her, you know, reveals to her her situation, that she's been through five husbands, and that the dude she's living with now is just, she's just kind of shacking up there. He knew her story. And so we see some other things about her in that. And there's a couple scenarios that could be playing out of that scenario. One is maybe she's been the one that has just burned through man after man after man after man and just couldn't be satisfied. Nothing was good enough for her. Uh, and maybe, probably more likely, she's on the other end of that. More likely, she was looking for acceptance in a relationship and love and most likely was abused uh, and neglected and tossed aside by man after man after man. And even now is with a guy that doesn't even commit himself to marry her. So either scenario, it's not good. Either scenario, there's going to be a lot of hurt. Either scenario, she is isolated, she is alone, and she is thirsty. And she's, she's seeking Jesus. She just doesn't know it yet. So um, you know, and it's interesting, her story parallels ours. A lot of times when people read John chapter 4 and they're, they're Christians, sometimes they'll study John chapter 4 to see how did Jesus get to the gospel with her? You know, how did Jesus, what did he use? What were his strategies? I think, first of all, we need to all put ourselves in the role of this woman, that every one of us is seeking uh, what only Jesus can provide. 
and we can follow the two same scenarios that she does. There can be times in our lives where we're not seeking Jesus, but we're seeking relationships, or we're seeking sex, or we're seeking performance, or our job and promotions, and we're just running hard, expecting those things to satisfy us, and we get to the end of them, or get to a point in our life where we wake up and go, I'm exhausted, I'm burning myself out, and I'm sure I'm not satisfied, like this isn't working. Or maybe the other scenario that we're wondering if she walked through where maybe you've been kicked around, maybe you've been hurt, maybe you've tried to reach out, you've tried to help, you've tried to serve, and that's just been met with slam doors and rejection. And so maybe you're in that place of just hurting and needing affection, needing acceptance, but you're thirsty because it's not there. So uh, we live in that kind of world, and so we could very well be in a very similar place that this woman is in. She's seeking Jesus, and at this point, she doesn't know it. Another quick observation about this woman is that she had a cultural faith. Like, there wasn't really a connection with God for her. When Jesus turned the conversation to spiritual things, she grabbed to the well right away. This is our well. Like, this is Jacob's well. His, his sheep drank from this well, and I drank from this well. Like, so her connection to God was kind of vicariously through this Old Testament hero, this Old Testament man of faith. So this place, this well, or when she talked about we Samaritans worship at Mount Gerizim, there were places and, and significant historical figures, but there wasn't talk of God is my God. You know, like when Jesus later says that God is seeking worshipers, that she could just worship God wherever she is, whatever well she drinks out of, you know, whatever mountain she's on. So there's a real cultural religion, a cultural faith, but not a real legitimate relationship, connection with God. I meet a lot of people that go through that. We do that sometimes. We, you know, our relationship with God really is an affiliation with a denomination or with a certain church or with a certain pastor or with a certain program that we're in and, and just hit the periphery but not really be satisfied uh, by just connecting with God and just worshiping God. So that's her story. She's seeking Jesus. And uh, secondly, is that she meets Jesus, okay? So God would love for us to be on a search that we're seeking Jesus, but God's desire would be for you to meet Jesus, to, to see that Jesus is the one that can meet and quench your thirst. So uh, meeting Jesus, the first point here is the whole reason this woman could meet Jesus is because he pursued her. He moved toward her. It wasn't like in seeking Jesus, I didn't mean that she went, sought him out, and found him. She was hungry for Jesus, and Jesus appeared in her life. He pursued her. That was the only way this could have happened, is if Jesus would have pursued her. We just had a team of high school kids get back from Ukraine. Um, they had a great time. I've heard great stories. Thank you, church, for, uh, by the way, I see somebody fanning themselves. Do that. For, for some reason, it's a little hot this morning in here, so you're not offending me if you fan yourself, okay? So maybe not stand up and flap your arms, but if you can do that uh, with the bulletin, I'm totally fine with that, okay? Maybe throw a few this way. That would help as well. Um, they had a great time in Ukraine, and um, just a lot, for me, great memories. I got to do that trip. I, can't, I lost track six, seven times with students, and I remember telling our teams, it, basically the gist is a team of students from here goes to do a camp with a team of high school students from Ukraine, and I remember just kind of planting the seed in our teams, like, pray for one divine appointment. Could there be one student in Ukraine that God has you going on this trip to go meet 
and let them know about Jesus. And so for me, it seemed like every year it would be one of the older guys that didn't want to be at the camp. And so they're the kid at the back of the room, the arms folded, you know, the eyes are rolling. It's just like, this is so stupid. Why am I at this camp? And so for some reason, I have a heart for that kid. That, that kid is me in a lot of ways. And so um, one, one trip, the guy's name was Vadim. And so the beginning of the camp, usually the way you hit it off for the guy like that is go shoot hoops, let's go throw a football around, let's go. And so as the week goes on, uh, and then they laugh at me trying to learn Russian or something like that, and I'm making mistakes all over the place. So there's the unity around me being stupid and sports. It's usually the, the, the scenario. So by the end of the camp, though, I got the chance to share the gospel about when you have your faith in Christ, he forgives your sins, you have eternal life. And this, this big, skeptical, scally kid came up to me at the end of that and was just sobbing like a little kid. And I was just like, what's going on, Vadim? And he goes, the week before camp in downtown Kiev, somebody just came up to me randomly and said, where are you going when you die? And he said, I had never thought of that. And so the, week, the nights before camp, I have not slept. Like I just, it's been plaguing me, the answer to that question. And God brought you all the way from Iowa to come and give me the answer to that question. I mean, it's a powerful moment. And just to realize that divine appointment that God had set up for us. And so very similarly, this woman, uh, the only way she could meet Jesus, you know, I think about the logistics our teams go through, where they're raising support, they're raising money, they're team building, they're getting passports, they go through airports, they go through all of this to meet somebody in another country. Jesus had to fly through so many borders to have an appointment with this woman. We saw right away the first verse we read, it said Jesus had to go to Samaria. Uh, he didn't have to. There were other ways to go. In fact, a lot of times the Jewish people were so disgusted with Samaria, like they just didn't even want to go there. Think Cubs, Cardinals, Red Sox, Yankees, like on steroids. Like this is, think Shiite, Sunni, think just very tense racial strife. There's no way I'm going through Samaria. So a lot of Jews would go around Samaria. But Jesus had to go to Samaria. There was an intentionality to this trip. There was a pursuit, I believe, of this woman, Jesus knowing there was someone there for him to meet with. There were many other borders, not just that, that geographical border, but for a man to speak with a woman in public was not, was not culturally acceptable. Jesus shot through that. For a Jew to speak to a Samaritan, you saw her response, who are you talking to me, a Samaritan? Like she just shocked. The two groups don't talk, but Jesus shot through that racial, that ethnic tension and barrier. And think about who Jesus is. He's a rabbi, he's a spiritual leader, talking to a woman with a rep most likely with a reputation. Like he's just shooting through all these boundaries because he's pursuing her, he loves her, he wants her to understand God's love and God's message of salvation. And so um, the whole reason this meeting happens is because Jesus is a savior who pursues and so I just share that with us this morning because Jesus treats us the same way. There are so many barriers that Jesus has to fight through to, to even <laughs> have a meeting with us. Jesus, the sinless son of God, left heaven to come and live on this earth. That, that Jesus, when he pursues a relationship with us, there is nothing in us that deserves that. Nothing in us that earns that. And yet Jesus just shoots right through all barriers of their gender and ethnic and in moral and sin issues, he just shot right in there to have this relationship with her. And I, those who follow Jesus, this needs to be our pattern too. 
that for Jesus, there was no one beyond his reach, no one beyond, nobody too bad that he couldn't reach out to and extend love to. That should be the same for God's people, that there are no boundaries, that we will extend God's love. We will serve, we will meet needs of anyone who has need. That's a reflection of a true follower of Christ. And I commend you as a church for, uh, for example, Annalise standing up here today, heading to Central African Republic. Like that's a huge step. It's a, that's very much like Jesus or the way you guys get behind many global workers, global teams, the way you guys get around supporting orphans in Ethiopia, the way you guys get around helping women caught in human trafficking in Cambodia, the way you guys get around Faith Academy, the way you guys get around the ministry at the spot and the ways that I just hear personally, you guys helping this family move because they were struggling or, or this person in time of need. That's, that's a reflection of a true follower of Jesus Christ is that there's no boundaries. You're just going to reach out and serve and extend God's love anywhere. And so the whole reason that whole appointment happened, that divine appointment, is because Jesus is a Savior who pursues. So he pursued her, and then Jesus offered her living water. He said, everybody who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's interesting, Jesus uses these analogies and people don't get them right away. Just in the chapter before this, he was talking to a religious leader named Nicodemus and he said to Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. And this well-educated man sits there and thinks, where am I going to find a womb big enough for me to climb back into and then come out of? And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. And so no, it's just, there's going to be new life in you when you follow me. And so same thing happens here when Jesus mentions living water. It's like she's going, but you can't get water out of this well. Where's your, you know, where's your bucket? Where's your, and so, no, but Jesus is tapping into a powerful analogy you see throughout the Bible of, of water representing life, of, of streams of living water just representing the constant flow of life that God wants to give his people. You see it throughout the Bible. You see it, um, you know, in our own lives. If you're riding Ragbride this week and you're just tired and you get to one of those stops and you just lap up the water as you're just thirsty. I remember a long time ago, football two days, that when those practices are over, man, you just get to the water. And so it's that picture of what humans are really thirsting for is the water, the life that God provides. We see regions of our world like California this summer where it's so dry and they're in such desperate need of water. You see our lives are parallel to that, that when we don't have the life that God offers, our lives are dry and weary lands. That's the description of our life. But, but whenever God's, God's life comes into us, it's like water coming to a thirsty soul. And so Jesus said that even a couple chapters later in John 7. He's at a big religious festival and he stands up at the end of that festival. He cries out in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink because whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus offered her life that she's not going to find anywhere else in men, in acceptance, in any kind of performance in her life. She will not be satisfied apart from the life that Jesus is offering her. So he offers her that life, but then Jesus also reveals her need. Jesus will do the same thing for us when we meet with him, but when he met with her, he revealed her need. He revealed, I believe in this situation, her sin. He revealed the situation with the five husbands. Um, it's interesting, whenever Jesus can, confronts us, about sin in our lives, it's because, I don't believe it's to condemn us. I think it's because he has something better for us. He would love for us to repent and admit 
this is not the right pursuit, and, and I will embrace what you offer me instead. John 3.17 says that God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And so what we tend to do, what this woman was doing, what we tend to do is to grab onto other things to satisfy us. And what Jesus needs to do is expose that in our lives. God said this, it's God speaking in the first person in Jeremiah 2. He said, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. That's, that's the story of her life. That's the story of our lives. That here's God, the one that just wants to give us streams of living water, wants to satisfy us, give us life, and yet we choose to dig our own wells. We choose to find our own places to drink, to satisfy our thirst, and God reveals that as sin. And what God would love to have us do instead, instead of looking for these other places uh, to satisfy us, which actually is a form of worship, that the more attention you're giving something, the more money you're giving something, the more you're thinking about something, you're worshiping that. And if that is any pursuit besides God himself, it's gonna be empty. You're gonna be thirsty. But God is seeking worshipers. God is seeking men and women who will see him for who he is, how amazing he is, how good he is, how great he is, and men and women who will pursue him first. Think about him, obey him, follow him, invest our lives for him. It's then that we are satisfied. And that all comes from this meeting with Jesus, that he exposes um, the small g gods in our lives. He, he, he discloses, he exposes the sin in our life so that he can replace it with something much better. And so let me just pause for a little bit and talk about this meeting Jesus. Uh, if you came in this morning and maybe you're like this woman and you didn't understand who Jesus is or what he's offering you, he's offering to take uh, your sin and the times that you've offended God and hurt the people in your life. He's, he, he came to rescue you from that. So this morning would be the morning to say, Jesus, that's how I've been living my life. And I repent of that. I ask you to forgive me and ask you to give me new life. That's the meeting that changes your life. You get to know Jesus personally. You get to worship God intimately wherever you are. It's not a religious thing. It's a very real thing. It's a relationship. So the first time you meet Jesus and understand who he is and what he's offering you, you respond by admitting, I'm a sinner. I need your salvation. I need to be rescued. Give me new life, okay? So once you've done that, and if you've never done that before, I'd love to talk to you after the service. Talk to the friend who brought you but that's an amazing beginning of your relationship with God. God would love for you to seek Jesus, meet Jesus, and then share Jesus. But even those of us who have done that before, we know Jesus, I think this is a continual cycle in our life that we continue to go to Jesus. Like, so the parallel today would be, let's say you're at Starbucks sitting alone and Jesus comes to sit next to you. Not many wells today, but if you were to have a one-on-one -on -one with Jesus today, what questions would he start asking you? What yeah, you know, what pursuits in your life would he be putting a finger on and saying, you know, I think you're putting way too much focus on that. I think you're looking for way too much from that to, pers to quench your thirst. And I think you've been neglecting me. And so this is a healthy process to let Jesus continue to put his finger on the areas of our lives to reveal to us how um, we are looking other places to have our thirst quenched. So uh, this, this, woman's cycles, the pattern so far is that she sought Jesus, she met Jesus, 
And then, just very naturally, very spontaneously, she shared Jesus, okay? So I want to read a few more verses here. So we'll pick up in verse 27. So I could use a few more fans coming my way. I'm starting to sweat up here, okay? So it's hot. So uh, John 4:27 said, uh, Just then his disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So again, Jesus was shooting through boundaries they were even perplexed by. Verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and they were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. Uh, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And the disciples said to one another, has anybody brought him something to eat? So they'd gone into town to get food. They'd gone to McDonald's. Now they're asking, did somebody grab him Subway or what? Like, where did he, did Domino's deliver out here or what? So, and Jesus said to them, my food is to, to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. You do not, or do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields that are white for harvest. So, Seek Jesus, meet Jesus, and then, God, what would you have of my life? I'd love for you to share Jesus. When you meet Jesus and you see all that he's given you, you experience, you taste this living water, you gotta go share it. And so it's the ultimate no-brainer. It's what this woman did. She was in such a hurry. She left her jug and ran right back to the very people she was ashamed of being with. You know, she was out there alone because she was ashamed of being with these people. She didn't care about that anymore. She just went said, this man has quenched my thirst, and I know a whole village of people that need to meet him too. They need their thirst quenched too. So she just, it was the ultimate no-brainer. Look what God has done for me. I've got to share that with others. Um, this whole concept of sharing Jesus with others, it's called evangelism. Some people call it that. The best definition of evangelism I've heard is that it's one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. That's all this woman is doing. She's known Jesus for what, a minute, a couple minutes for who he is? And the first thing she's got to do is go tell people about it. So really sharing Jesus should be the most ultimate no-brainer in your life. And uh, if it's not something that's a priority to you, um, I got to ask, like, is, it, is Jesus really that important to us? We talk about what's important to us. We naturally look for ways to get around to the topics of what's important to us. So I gotta ask myself that too. Is Jesus that real to me and that meaningful to me that it's a priority for me, that it's the ultimate no-brainer? I've gotta share him. Here's the second thing. Jesus, this whole sharing Jesus. Uh, Jesus himself called it satisfying work, that, that for me to do the work of making disciples who will make disciples, Jesus said, that's like food to me. That satisfies me. That's what I came here to do. Jesus came to die on a cross to take away our sin, to give us new life. But the work Jesus came to do was to make disciples who would make disciples. And Jesus says the most fulfilling thing you can do on this planet. You know, 10 years after you are dead, um, all the things you're running after right now probably won't matter. In fact, that's a good question to ask yourself. Like all the things I'm doing this week, what's gonna be, what's the result of that 10 years after I'm gone? Um, but if you invest your life in sharing Jesus, in making disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples, 10 years after you're off of this planet, that's going to keep going. There's going to be people who are continuing to meet people who are thirsty and need Jesus, and they meet him, and they share him with others. That's perpetual, ongoing, till Jesus comes back kind of stuff. So Jesus said the most satisfying part of your life, the most satisfying work you can be involved in, 
is helping other people meet Jesus so that they can help other people meet Jesus. So, so how do we do this? Um, there are so many things we can glean, and I just have a couple more minutes here. There's so many things you can glean about how Jesus kind of crafted this conversation with this woman. I encourage you to look at it asking that question, how could I be like Jesus in my interaction with people who don't know him? But let me just pick out a couple things, very practical, that you can put to practice this week. And it's weird because one of the scariest things you can suggest that Christians go do is go share your faith. It, it shouldn't be, but it is. It's, it's scary to us. So let me just, here's a couple ideas. Um, let me finish the passage here. It says, so the woman goes in, tells her village about Jesus. It says that many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Do you see that powerful combination of her words and his words? So if you want a practical thing you can take home today, maybe right now in your bulletin or on your phone or whatever, who are two or three people in your life that you love them to death? They're good friends. You've done a lot of life together. You work with them. They're family members but you're not sure if they know Jesus, okay? Here's one practical thing we could all just pray for the opportunity to do this week. Could there be a time where you talk about, where you combine your words and Jesus' words? And so with your words, what I'm thinking of here is this. Could you succinctly, in 30 seconds or less, just describe something that Jesus has done for you that would, that would really be relevant to a friend of yours that doesn't know Jesus? And, you know, that's the kind of thing that you probably don't write once, and use the rest of your life, you could, but what could even be more effective if that's something you do every month. Like, what has Jesus done for you this month that has just totally helped you? He's been totally quenched a thirst in your life. What's, could, you, could you think of a way to share your words and then also share Jesus' words? What are, what's a verse that has meant a lot to you? What's a, a teaching of Jesus? And so pray this week that there will be a chance with one of your three people you wrote down, two or three people, for you to drop that out there, what Jesus has done for you and his words, a teaching that has helped you. Pray about that and see what God opens up for you this week. But what was powerful for those villagers was to hear the combination. Her story and Jesus' words led many of them to follow Christ as their savior, okay? Let me just share a couple other just general principles. Um, or let me, let me go one step further with that. The next step you could go is to invite somebody to read the Bible with you and that's being powerfully done. Our college students are modeling that in our 24-7 ministry. I know of people in their marketplace, people that own businesses or people that are working in a company that'll just kind of informally get a time together where they're reading the Bible with people they're working with. I know people doing that with their neighbors. Uh, it's powerful. I've seen high school kids do that over the years. They'll just invite a bunch of buddies from their team over and they'll just read the Bible together. So it's really weird. I'm going to feel really stupid saying this, but sometimes we downplay the power of the Bible. We'll think that we have to use this book or we have to use this little gimmick or let's watch this video. What's wrong with just sitting down and letting God's words uh, speak to people? So um, that's something you can do. I've had a personal situation a couple, about six months ago. Somebody emailed Parkview with a very difficult question, very controversial topic in our culture today and asked what, what Parkview thought about that. 
And my response to them was, could we talk about that later, but would you be open to just reading the Bible together? So we've read topically passages from the Bible. Who is God? Who is Jesus? Who are we? Um, what is the gospel? How do you become a Christian? How do you pray? And it's been, it's been awesome. Like we've, we've been able to talk about what I would consider to be core issues, not some of the peripheral, controversial issues. Sometimes we'll jump to those peripheral ones and never get to talk about the heart of why we believe what we believe and what we really believe. So, so I put that out there. Don't downplay the power of God's word. A couple other things. Jesus was willing to talk to anybody. So don't put the barriers up. You, God, God will bring people your way. Students, you're stepping into another semester or another uh, school year, City High, West High, whatever um, university here. God is gonna bring people into your classes. God's gonna bring people into your team that are there for a reason. Keep your eyes open. Who are the people in my life? This time of year, people are moving. Who's moving into the apartment next to us? Who's moving into our neighborhood? But keep your eyes open. Do not draw boundaries between who you can reach or can't reach. Um, and Jesus was ready. Be ready at any time to have a spiritual conversation. You never know when they're coming, so be ready. And last one, there's, there's several we could pull out of here. But one is, notice how Jesus used questions. The use of questions can be really powerful to get into a spiritual conversation. Um, things like, how could I pray for you? Or what kind of things do you pray for? I've never, uh, the how can I pray for you question, I've never had anybody get offended at that. People usually at least appreciate that, even if they don't believe in God. But those kind of things, or asking them, you know, what do you think is the reason we're here? What's the purpose in life? And so when you use a question, you really disarm things. You're not coming up on them to like, just kind of preach at them what you want to hear, what you want to say. You're disarming things. You're letting them share. It also helps you diagnose where are they coming from? What do they understand? What are their needs? So um, as we've studied this woman this morning, my, my prayer has been that we just capture, I think, this cycle that, that Jesus took her through of seeking Jesus, meeting Jesus, sharing Jesus. And my prayer has been that we would that, that all of us would just consider that and where are we in that cycle. And I really think that cycle just continues to go throughout our lives, that there's a continual search in our heart uh, to be satisfied that only Jesus can satisfy. So there's a constant search for Jesus, a constant meeting with Jesus, letting him expose our sin, letting him replace it with something far better, and then a constant unleashing where we just can't wait. It's a no-brainer to go and share with the people in our lives what he's done. Just, just imagining a, a church season where we're living in that cycle, how powerful that could be for us and, and for this whole community, for the world. So let me pray for us, then we'll close in worship here. So Jesus, would you please do that in our lives? We asked you at the beginning of this to speak to us. We asked you to speak through me. Now I'm praying for all of us that we would just take what you said and that we would put it to practice. God, even if this week you have some divine appointments for us with people and that you give us that chance to just briefly share what you've done for us and my words plus your words and a, and a really key truth. God, I would love to hear stories of that this week. I would love to see you use your people to share your message. Thank you for your pursuit of us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for meeting our needs like you do. You're awesome, Jesus. We praise you. In your great name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. 
If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.